Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirim and Daf Yomi. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. We're now in Masachet Bavakama, Daf Ayin Tet Amud Bet, in the final Mishnah, Mishnah Zayin of the seventh parak. And this Mishnah and its attendant Gemara will take us uh, away from our general discussion that we've had in this parak about Tashlumi Abu Bachamisha and into several interesting tangents um, about uh, what you might uh, call something like civic ordinances or zoning laws. Um, There's a, an ordinance against raising sheep in Eretz Israel. The reason is because they graze and clear out all of the uh, greenery. You're allowed to raise them in Surya. This is something we discussed in uh, the beginning of Masachat Gittin, where that is and why that has a middle status between Eretz Yisrael and Chutz Laaretz. You're allowed to raise them in the uninhabited areas. Best way to translate Midbar here of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, so you see that it's not a having anything to do with Harat Eretz Yisrael, uh, but rather having to do with affecting the inhabitants. Uh, not allowed to raise chickens in Yerushalayim. Why? Because there's so much kodshim meat around, and chickens typically get into the meat, and they peck into it, and they uh, mess it up. Kohanim are not allowed to raise chickens anywhere in Yerushalayim. And that's something that we will see discussed further on. The second half of this Mishnah we will deal with in the next podcast, in the final podcast of the Perak. Uh, but so in the meantime, we'll leave it be, and we'll go straight to the Gemara. Tan Rabbanan, this first bright uh, expands on what we saw. You're allowed to raise them also in the forests of Eretz Yisrael. You're allowed to raise them in Syria, in Syria, even in the uh, in the inhabited areas, in the towns. At the end of this podcast, we'll see another way in which the residents of Eretz Yisrael sort of have a leg up. As you'll see, there's a favoring of the settlement of Israel. In the Midbar that is in the border areas near Akko. If you remember, in the times of the Gemara, the area of Akko was near the border, as we saw in the first Mishnah Masachet Kitin. So even though, and now here we're going to have all the caveats, even though they said you're not allowed to raise sheep, you're allowed to raise cattle. Why? This is a halacha that appears several times in Shas, that the Beitin does not make a gzera on the community unless the community can stand up to it. And what's the reasoning? It's, a, it's possible to import sheep from Chutzlarts, if we need them, as we'll see, you're allowed to have them here and slaughter them here. But it wasn't wasn't possible, it wasn't easy at least, to import cattle from Chutzlarts, they allowed you to raise them in Eretz Israel. Second caveat, even though they said you can't raise them, but you're allowed to import them and keep them here for 30 days before a regel, or for 30 days before your son's wedding, for instance. In other words, when you're having a major feast, you're allowed to have sheep available and then to slaughter them right before the feast. But you can't keep the last one around for 30 days. In other words, you've imported, let's say, five sheep. and turned out you only needed four of them for the regal or for the wedding. 
You can't say, well, I have 30 days that I can keep them around, so I'll count 30 days from when I imported them, which might have been a week before the regal, and I'll eat them afterwards. The Salkatayta Chamena, because I would have thought, the Nafikle regal is now an interjection in the bright tub, I would have thought once the regal's gone, from the time that I bought it till now, it's not yet 30 days. Don't say the rabbis allowed me 30 days. The one time, once the regal is gone, you're not allowed to hold on to them. I right, we continue with the bright tub. A shochet is allowed to buy sheep and shach them. He's allowed to buy them and keep them. He can't keep the last one. Take a look at Rashi's interpretation of the Pasuk and Ruth here. He's not allowed to keep the last one 30 days. In other words, again, he's allowed to keep them for 30 days, but he shouldn't say, well, I have 30 days, so I'll, t- I'll keep the last one around and wait until it's closer to the proper market day. He has 30 days, and that's it. Um... Now, Shalut Hamidavit Rav Gamliel. So this is a story that the uh, the students asked Rav Gamliel, "Mahu legadel? Are you allowed to raise sheep?" Amarlahen mutar. So you're allowed to. Have hatnan ein megadlin, but the Mishnah says you're not allowed to. So that couldn't be the conversation. This is what they asked. Mahu lishot? Are you allowed to keep them around? Amarlahen mutar. You're allowed to. Vajshalotet sevet Rav Aider. So Gamliel seems to be expansive. It seems to say you're not allowed to raise them, but once they're grown, you're allowed to keep them even longer than 30 days, as long as they don't go out and graze. You have to tie it to the bed, and you have to tie it down and feed it with by yourself. It's an interesting story. It was a pious man. He had some heart problems. They asked the doctors, he, the only solution for him is to drink hot milk, literally fresh milk, coming right from the udder every morning. So they brought him, evidently they as the doctors, brought him a goat. They tied it next to his bed, or at his own bed. And they tethered it down as per Miguel's instructions. He nursed directly from it every morning. One day his friends came to visit him. They saw a goat in his house tied down. They backed off. There must be an armed robber here. They're referring to a shepherd. In other words, our friend must have become a shepherd who is now uh, keeping sheep around, who regularly steal by grazing. We're coming to visit him? So they started looking into this fellow's affairs and found out that this is the only thing he had done wrong. Even at his own deathbed, he said, I know that's the one sin that I have. I violated the words of my colleagues. In other words, now we have to look back and say, when Gamliel said you're allowed to keep the the, the uh, sheep or the, or the goat, but you have to keep him tied down. That was only for a limited time, not forever. And this fellow felt that, indeed, and his friends felt that he had violated the law by keeping this animal around. Amara, I mean, this has some implications for pikuach nefesh and for uh, to what extent your own needs can um, can or cannot uh, trump the uh, concerns of the community. Amara Bishmuel. So now we have the statement of Rabbi Shmuel. My father's family was of the landowners in the upper Galil. 
Why did they? Why did their area get desolate, and why did they lose their homes? Shayu Marain Bachorshin. They used to take their sheep to graze in the forest areas. We'll see what the problem is. And they would ju- adjudicate fin- uh, cases of monetary cases with only one judge, just one of them. Going back to the first issue, they had a forest area right next to their houses. There was a small field between their house and the forest area, and they would bring the sheep through there, and therefore they would be violating the words of the Chachamim by having them graze in other people's fields. And uh, and that itself was Gzela, and therefore they lost their homes. All right, Tan Rabbanan, this is a Tosefta uh, in the 8th parak. I, I marked it there. Ro'esha Asat Shuva. This is a long Tosefta that it, it and its analysis will take us a goodly part of uh, a way through the rest of the podcast. Ro'esha Asat Shuva. Let's say somebody's a shepherd. He's been violating the law by raising sheep and taking care of sheep, and now he wants to do Tshuva. They don't say, okay, if they sell everything off right away, which of course means it's going to be a fire sale and he'll lose everything or lose a lot. He sells one at a time, like a normal sale. Uh, this, of course, is done chiefly to encourage people to do tshuva, think that if they want to do the right thing, they're not going to lose everything. A ger whose father died and he got an inheritance, and his inheritance included dogs and pigs, things that we're not allowed to own. We'll see about dog, what kind of dogs we're talking about. We don't say you have to sell it off right away. You sell it one at a time. Again, the same reason. Here the comparison is not as close between case one, as between case one and two. We'll see the, we'll see the conceptual uh, analogy. If somebody took a nedder that he would buy a house or that he would uh, marry a woman in Eretz Yisrael. We don't say, okay, first house you see, you got to buy. The first woman you see that's available, you got to marry. He has to find the right one. There's a story to support this. That her son was pestering her. He wanted her to get married. Her father probably died. She finally took a shoo and she said, Next person who comes and asks for my hand in marriage, I won't send him away. So all sorts of lowlifes came to marry her. Chachamim interpreted her words as saying she only meant when the first correct suitor or appropriate suitor comes, then I won't turn him away. And they said she has every right to reject these guys, even though her wording had been, I won't turn anybody away. Uh, the conceptual analogy to that is, of course, whenever you have an obligation to take care of some uh, some need that involves another, we don't force you to do it in such a way that, that you're going to lose, but rather just do it with all due deliberation, meaning as soon as possible, in a reasonable manner. So the Tosefta continues, that just as they said you're not allowed to raise sheep, you're also not allowed to raise chayadaka, like a deer. Same problem of grazing. Rabbi Shmuel Omer, Megadlin Klavim Kofrin. So he says that you're allowed to raise village dogs. What Klavim Kofrim is, Machlok Rishonim, whether they're large dogs, but they're not ferocious, or they're small dogs, V'chatulim, right, cats, we'll see an issue with cats later on in the story, V'kofin, monkeys, V'chuldot Snaim. What are Chuldot Snaim? So Snaim in modern Hebrew squirrels, we'll see what this is. Mesha Suinam Akerata Bayit, because all of these are things that clean out the house. They kind of maintain the house for you. My chuldot what are they? I'm a Yehuda, Shartza, Chartza. 
right? Which, uh, so either way, these uh, end up being porcupines. Um, the last, um, the last piece is they have, uh, they have little legs. Uh, they are these things that have little legs. Uh, and they, uh, and they, um, kind of, uh, hang out in the bushes. Okay, my shards, so what is that? They mean tatoi shake. Why are they called, why are they called shards? Shards are like short seam, because their legs are very low. So Rav reported that in Bavel we be, treat ourselves as if we're in Eretz Israel vis-a-vis Behemadaka. We don't allow Behemadaka to be raised in the cities in Bavel. So he said to Rav Huna, what about you? In other words, you uh, have Behemadaka. You're reporting in Rav's name that, uh, that you're not allowed to do this. And you yourself have sheep that you own. Amarle didan kamintaraluhu chova. He said, Chova, my wife, she watches them. This is a story that has several versions to it with the same ending. Amarle chova tik berino livna. So, Madabarava cursed Ravuna and said, Chova should end up bearing her children. What end up playing out is Kule Shana Ravana Barava lo kaim zara lo Ravuna mi chova. As long as Ravana Barava, the one who gave the curse, was alive, uh, Rav Huna was never able to have children with Chova. The other version of this is that Rav said, once I came back from Eretz Yisrael, I instituted the rule, and now everybody in Bavel accepts this. That doesn't change the story of the father of Rav Huna. The question is, was the practice in Bavel something that antedated Rav's return, or came as a result of Rav's return. Rav came back and said, Eretz Yisrael, this is what they do. It's a good idea. We'll do it here also. In which case, there's less of a claim against Rav Huna, whose ownership of the sheep may have predated and very likely predated Rav's return uh, to Bavel. Now, there's a story. Rav Ushmuel Ravasi, Kavalavei Shavua Ben. They came to Shavua Ben, which may have been the celebration of a Brit, the celebration before a Brit. Vamrila Levei Yeshua Ben. Another version of this is Yeshua Ben. Uh, Rashi indicates that Shavua Ben is the Brit, and Yeshua Ben is the Pidyan Ben. Um, it makes sense, Yeshua. Uh, but in any case, they came to a celebration of a birth. Rav lo ayel kamed Shmuel. Rav refused to walk in in front of Shmuel to honor him. Shmuel ayel kamed Ravasi. Shmuel would not come in front of Ravasi, because Ravasi himself, Shmuel felt Ravasi was greater than him, and Ravasi was a Talmud of Rav. Vasi loyal kaimu Rav, he wouldn't go in front of his Rebbe. So you have this triangle, nobody's going to walk in first. So Amri man natra. So nitra, who's going to be last? They said that somebody's got to go in first, who's going to be last? Let's start with that. So nitra Shmuel. So let Shmuel be last. Venete Rav Ravasi. So let Rav and Ravasi come in first. <coughs> now, Venetra Rav Ravasi. So know which one of them should be last. So, Rav, milta ba'al mahuda avalei Shmuel. The reality is that Rav was greater than Shmuel, but Rav had special respect for Shmuel because of something that happened, and so therefore, uh, really, um, Rav should go in first. Mishum hahuma said, delati ad bere ravalei, because a particular case that happened, uh, and it's in Masachat Shabbat, where uh, he was cursed, so Rav... Uh, had accepted upon himself special respect for Shmuel, and he allowed Shmuel great, showed Shmuel great honor, but really Rav was greater. 
the point of this story is that while these three Chachamim were figuring out who would go in first, everybody's paying attention to this, nobody was watching the baby, and a cat came and, uh, and bit off its hand. Nafak Ravadar, so Ravdan came out and taught, Chatul Mutar Lohorgo, you're allowed to kill a cat. You're not allowed to keep him around. There's no issue of Gezel stealing a cat. And there's no mitzvah of to return a lost cat. Now, the question is, what does he mean? Once you said you're allowed to kill him, so why add you're not allowed to keep him around? The answer is, Maybe I would think you're, there's, you're allowed to kill him, meaning there's no isser. But I wouldn't know that there's an isser to keep him. I would think if you kill him, you kill him. Kamash Malan, that you're not allowed to keep him. So Amr Vakevan Damart Ein Bomishum Gezel, the other analysis was once you said there's no din of Gezel, my new two Ein Bomishum Hashev Aveda Labalim, so obviously there's no mitzvah Vashavas Aveda. Ravina La Oro, Ravina said for these pelt, and even if you kill this animal, and then somebody has the pelt, <coughs> there's no din of Vashavat Aveda. Okay, Meitave, Rabbi Shibman Lazar Omer, and in the version that we had earlier is Rabbi Shmoel, Megalin Klavim Kofrin, we said you're allowed to raise village dogs, Vechatulin, and cats. So how can Rav say you're allowed to kill cats? Kofrin, Vechodot Tznaim, Neisha, Asudin, Kerat Abayit. So he said, Lokasha Habuchma Habachivra. A black cat is very tame, and therefore you can raise them. A white cat, those are the ones who are dangerous, and the one that bit off that kid's uh, hand. Ah, well, I said Rav Uchma Habe, but in the case of Rav, it wasn't, it was a black cat. That was a black cat whose mother was a white cat. But Ravina asked, What's the story with a black cat whose mother is a white cat? Can you keep him around? The answer is, Ravina's question is, That's if the grandmother was black and the, kid, and the, the cat was black, but the mother was white. So because evidently these white cats are more violent, if there's a white strain in there, maybe you can't keep them around. My Rav, the story with Rav that had all this, this terrible cat that he said you're not allowed to raise, that's it was a black cat whose ancestors are all white cats, for it has that more violent and aggressive strain in it. Okay, now we have a, a, a statement in the name of some of B'nai Rav Papa, and there's some confusion as to who said it. I'm Rabbi Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Abba Bar Papa, Mishum Rabbi Ada Bar Papa, maybe. Or perhaps, one way or the other, it's Bnei Rav Papa who state, make this statement. Now, is not Chichuch as we had earlier in the Masachet with an animal rubbing up against a wall, but rather, it's when there is a plague of boils that are causing people to scratch. Such a terrible plague comes, we blow the shofar, even on Shabbat, because a fast day, etc. This is a metaphysical statement. A closed door will not be open soon if somebody's fortunes are going bad. Rashi points out, should he daven strong, or should he say, look, clearly my fortunes are not, are not favorable, and um, things are not going to go well for me. There's a halacha we've seen already twice. <clears throat> but that if you buy a house in Eretz Yisrael, you're allowed to write the deed even on Shabbat. Now we have to step back from that statement, which we'll do in a minute. Meitavei. Let's go back to the first statement. This is um, in Tanit. Any other things besides Dever uh, and besides Melchamat, Rav, when Chichuch, Chagav, which is locusts, uh, Zvuv, Tziravi, Itush, all sorts of infestations, Shiloch Nechashim Vakravim, or attacks by snakes, 
They would not blow the shofar, they would just get together and daven. So, if the boil, uh, the separation is wet, is moist, then they would just uh, cry out. But if we could dry it out, such that it caused that kind of scratching, then it was more dangerous and they would do trua also. And uh, we say that the shechin that the Mitzrim had, which of course is the worst, was moist on the outside and dry on the inside. So um, And we take a look at the last Rashi on the page. He says, It was only on the outside where it was, where it was uh, blossoming. It was bubbling. All right? So the implication is that on the inside it was dry. Okay? What does that mean? So Rashi said, if people have it bad... Um, then things are not going to go well for them so quickly. In other words, it's not so easy to turn that around. You never have it good. Once it's bad, it's not, it never can be good. Volohi, and the Gemara rejects this. He was talking about his own situation. He had a bad life and never turned around, so he attributed it to bad fortune and to saying that, uh, see, when you have bad fortune, then uh, things don't, things will never turn around. That was the way that he said it. And, then, and I'm alighted explaining, in the, origin, in the first explanation of what uh, we had Marzutra uh, saying smicha, meaning that if a person attempts to get smicha and doesn't work, it's not going to be so easy a second time around. Okay, the last statement that we had was You think you really write the deed on Shabbat? Like Rav explained there, Meaning that in another case, Rav explained that there isn't a blanket hetter to do malacha doraita, but you can do, tell a non-Jew. Here you can also tell a non-Jew to prepare the, the deed uh, and have it written up on Shabbat. Even though Amir Lenochri is a violation, withheld their decree in order to promote Yeshu Eretz And as I said, this goes back to our statement in the Mishnah. If you buy a city in Eretz you have to buy and and uh, and access a road from all four directions in order to allow more settlement in the land so that this city has access both in and out. Okay, we'll pause at this point and in the next uh, podcast we'll see the ten rules, the ten ordinances uh, that Yehoshua Minun established, which have shown up here and there in our study earlier, but now we find them all together. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.